Thank you, Andy. Good morning. Glad to be able to be here with you this morning. I hope that each of you were able to open up your copy of God's Word there to 1 Thessalonians 4. Uh, it will just make it easier uh, to follow along with the sermon. My name's Michael, one of the pastors here at Encounter Church. And yes, Andy and I met quite a few years ago, and the way he and I met was at Starbucks. Uh, both and I were slinging coffee back in the day, and uh, hence became, uh, began my, what my wife refers to as addiction. I prefer to call it an appreciation of coffee. First Thessalonians chapter 4 is where we are spending our time this morning. We live in a time in which uh, we have it in our mind where it's almost our personal responsibility that all of us, right, we think it's, it's my job to convince everyone who disagrees with me that they are wrong and that my position is right, right? We, we live in this time of lots of hot topics that are up for debate, for debate, and we all tend to have an opinion about it, and we believe our opinion is right, and we want others to agree with us. There's a lot of hot topics. Think of a few of these. The Second Amendment rights, uh, Roe v. Wade, January 6th, inflation, Russia's invasion of Ukraine, Socialism, racism, or any other ism. Social justice, free college tuition, COVID, to mask or not to mask, to vaccine or not to vaccine, and whether or not to sign up for the booster subscription or not. The Supreme Court, mass shootings, healthcare, climate change, Gas prices, right? All of these are topics, and of course the list seems to go on and on and on, but we'll stop there. All of these are hot topics that are up for debate that everyone seems to have an opinion about, and that so many of us believe we are correct in our opinion. And again, as I've mentioned already, if you don't agree with me in my opinion, then you're wrong. And especially with the ease of technology, and the access to all of this information, with access to the never-ending news cycles, the opinion pieces, the online chatter, it's, as if, it's almost as if our nervous system has now been extended to the ends of the earth through communication technology and that, that never-ending glowing screen that is probably there in our pocket right now or maybe even in our hands. And we're constantly being pulled into matters and conversations and situations that we would have never, prior to this technology, we would never have been privy to before. But now we find ourselves so connected that we find it necessary to have an opinion on subjects that we tend to, honestly, we know very little about. We have an opinion on subjects that we can do nearly nothing toward its resolution. In fact, the extent of our education on these hot topics of the hour often is just made up by the talking points from our, our favorite news channel or even that podcast that we just got done listening to. And yet we still get sucked in, don't we? We, get, we still get sucked in and we get involved rather quickly. And more often than not, we are filled with anger, we are filled with anxiousness, fear, fear frustration, and even at times depression. And the battle lines, the battle lines between neighbors seem to be 
drawn rather quickly. The wagons are being circled up, and before we know it, the verbal grenades, whether through text message or through social media, the verbal grenades are tossed without any hesitation. And again, we've, been, we've, we've become convinced that if you disagree with me, then you're the problem. <laughs> then you're, you're the problem. If you, if you don't agree with me, then you are on, this, on the wrong side of history. The modern day debates, they have become nothing more than shouting matches. And our voices are serving as sledgehammers that are driving the wedge of division even deeper. As we all take sides, we build bigger arguments out of harsh and hurtful words. We're always convinced that the problem always lies with the other person. I like to instruct my children, and I like to remind them that you cannot control everything. And in fact, there are some conversations that you don't need to be involved in. I mean, this even happens in our homes. Some of our children have like radar ears. My wife and I will be having a conversation downstairs and, and someone from upstairs will want to join in. <laughs> and I'm like, who invited you, you know? So there, there, there are just some things that, that we don't need to be involved in. There's some things that honestly we jump into that we have very little control over. Now, I'm not saying that it's wrong to join the occasional march for justice or attend a, an occasional rally for life. It's not wrong necessarily to encourage support for a particular party candidate who, who does seem to be living out biblical values. There's nothing inherent to, inherently wrong with these act, activities, but to allow your life to constantly be swept away by these continual debates, it's, it becomes like a drug, honestly, that dulls our senses and distracts us away from matters that are of eternal importance and from opportunities to actually do something that we have on a daily basis. Maybe a prayer that we should have is, Lord, save me from the online mob or the latest outcry agenda. Lord, teach me to focus on the opportunities that I can do something about. Lord, help me to, be, to spend less time being enraged by battles that divide, and help me to spend more time being engaged by activities that will truly help other people see Jesus. See, as a church, we find ourselves in a missionary situation. We find ourselves in a missionary situation where the church is a small evangelizing movement in a much larger secular society. And the goal is not to win a cultural war, but instead to live our lives so differently that others will want to join in. Let me say that again. Our goal is not to win the cultural war, but to live our lives so differently that other people will want to join in. That, that inside the city walls of the unseen eternal kingdom that is here and now, that each and every, that as followers of Jesus Christ we are a part of, that inside these city walls, the world will be looking inside and finding citizens of peace. Men and women who are respectable, men and women who are filled with faith, 
men and women who understand that our behavior and our interactions today will indeed influence how someone in the world who's looking inside, from the outside in, that, that someone from the world, they'll see our interactions, they'll see our lives, and it will help them to truly be able to see Christ. That as citizens of this eternal kingdom, we take, reality, we take seriously the reality that how we treat others who disagree with us says a lot about our understanding of who Jesus is and our role in loving our neighbors. That was a long introduction. But I believe chapter 4 has a lot to say to us today. During this month of July, we're walking through a teaching series titled Faithful Living in Divided Times. And our hope as, as churches, under the banner of the church, praise God, right? Our hope that as believers is that we can be rightly equipped to remain faithful followers of Jesus Christ and to live in such a way that others will glorify our Father in heaven, even in such divided times. Church, this is our opportunity to shine. I, I, we, we have to stop being filled with fear. We have to stop being overwhelmed and discouraged and depressed and understand that God has given us in this moment of time unique opportunities, opportunities that maybe were not even present and available to us five years ago. Unique opportunities to glorify God and how we treat our neighbors. And so we find here in our scripture passage, the Apostle Paul is reminding and instructing us in how we should live in order to win the respect of outsiders. He says that there toward the end, Pastor Andy, there reading that scripture passage, talks about that, that when you live in this way, you, you win or you earn the respect of someone who does not follow Jesus. It's a way of living that is consistent with scripture. It's a way of living that is, that is quietly speaking through actions that are louder than your words. The big idea for this morning is this, to live to please God and earn the respect of others. To live to, to please God and to earn the respect of others. We got a lot of ground to cover this morning with the time we have available. So we're, we're actually, uh, believe it or not, I'm adding a few verses onto it, Andy. Uh, we're going to go ahead and start at verse 1 of chapter 4, if y'all don't mind. And, and we're going to look here how Paul gives us clear instructions, clear understanding, how we can be living faithful lives in divided times. And the honor and the privilege that we have to be able to do that so that we can live to please God and win the respect of others. So let's look, starting there in verse 1, what the Apostle Paul begins telling us in this first way in which he gives us is, is that we can live by having a, living a holy lifestyle, okay? There's three different ways in which we can live. We're dividing it up in that way. And, and the first one is, Paul says, you can have a holy lifestyle. Let's look there at verse Verses 1 and 2, the Apostle Paul says, As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and we urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more, for you know instructions, what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Right, so Paul is now, he's transitioning and he's giving us very practical advice, practical instructions on how we should live. Understand, it was no easy, it was no easier to live faithful lives for Jesus in Paul's day than it is for us today. All right, so he's helping them to see that it indeed is possible to live in a way that is pleasing to God. Paul gives us this, this picture because Paul, Paul says that while Paul and, and his entourage were with them, he says that they instructed them in how they should live. And so we get this, this, this idea that, that Paul and the other missionaries came alongside the new believers to help them to grow in their faith in a similar way that a parent comes alongside their child who's going roller skating for the first time. Have you ever taken a child roller skating for the first time, right? If you as a parent are hoping to actually roller skate while taking your children roller skating, you will be eternally frustrated because it's not going to happen because you're going to spend your time alongside the child and maybe they'll be holding you up eventually, I don't know. But you'll be spending your time walking alongside that child, maybe even roller skating like this. That's discipleship. I think we have to think of that as discipleship. This is the picture that Paul is giving us. Paul says, we came alongside you instructing you in how you should live. I think we can be encouraged that if we are struggling to live in these ways that hopefully there are other believers who are coming alongside of us to help us. And then Paul also identifies our purpose as believers. Did you see there? Right? He says, we instructed you how to live. Why? Right there it is. Why? In order to please God. Paul identifies our purpose as believers to live lives to please God. Rather than, than living to meet a list of do's and don'ts, we just simply want to please God. I think this is a healthy perspective on living that goes beyond checking boxes on a, on a to-do list, but just helps us to see that, that as we have this personal relationship with God, that our desire, like any child who looks up to their parent and, and looks for their mom or their dad, the thumbs up from their parent, that, that we, should, we should live in such a way that, that we look to our Heavenly Father and He looks back and He smiles and He gives us the thumbs up. He says, way to go. Right? The logical outcome of our love for the Lord should be a desire to please Him. And so Paul is setting the stage. He says, he says we came alongside of you. We taught you. Here's how you should live, to live in such a way that is pleasing to the Lord. And then he goes in and he gives us these three different ways, kind of these three overarching themes that he says. And the first one is this. He says, we taught you to have a holy lifestyle. A holy lifestyle. And of course, Andy didn't read this, but I'll go ahead and read it for us. We see there in verse 3, follow along with me, where Paul, where Paul said, It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God, and that in this matter no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins, as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. There's a lot of debate online, isn't there, about human sexuality. There's a lot of debate out there. There's a lot of opinions. There's a lot of editorials. There's a lot of 
tossing grenades back and forth, verbal grenades back and forth on those matters. And, and Paul, he, he's giving us here, here's, here's your best argument, Christian. Live according to God's word. Live a life that is sanctified. Yeah, you, you, you can go and, and you can give me all of these different talking points, all of these different arguments, but if your life doesn't back it up, then what does it really matter? The best display is to live it out. See, God's will for your life is that you would be sanctified, that you would be set apart the, the idea of, of sanctification is that something or someone is set aside for the use that is intended by its designer. For example, a, a pen is set aside or it's sanctified. It's set aside for the purpose of, of writing. A pair of glasses are sanctified or set apart for the purpose of improving one's sight. See, as used in the Bible, things are sanctified when they are used for the purpose God intended a human being is sanctified when he or she lives according to God's design and purpose, walking in a manner which is pleasing to, pleasing to the Lord and, and worthy of his name. Right? The, the reason we are to be holy is because God is holy. It's because Christ lives in us, that he lives through us. And so what a gift it is to receive these instructions from God on how we should live and helping us to know what it looks like to live out the purposes for which God designed us. In this day and age, many of the religion of, religions of Paul's day, day, day permitted immoral and impure practices. In the Roman Empire, morality was dead. It was a, a free-for-all culture. Immorality was so common in Thessalonica that it was tempting for the believers to almost shrug their shoulders at the sexual persuasiveness, per pervasiveness of it, that they were almost indifferent at times toward it. And, and it was tempting for them to just accept it. Well, Paul, Paul is saying, he's saying that God's will is that you would avoid sexual immorality. These believers were being called out of their old lifestyle, and my great concern for many Christians today is a willingness to accept the broadening sexual definitions and practices in our culture. Please understand, I'm not advocating for a license to express hatred toward those in the world who live according to the world's standards of sexuality, a standard that seems to be constantly changing, but God does instruct us to pray for those uh, who, may, who obviously disagree and to honor them as image bearers of God and to serve them. However, as followers of Jesus Christ who desire to please the Lord and live according to his will, we trust in his beautiful design for us. In fact, in verse 8, Paul tells us that those who reject this instruction are rejecting God. The very God who gives us his Holy Spirit and it is the Holy Spirit who will lead and empower a believer to please the Lord in this way. By rejecting the design, you, you are rejecting the designer because you have rejected the Holy Spirit whom the designer gave you. And so Paul is, is warning us. He's saying, live a holy life. Maybe let me say it's not necessarily a warning so much. Maybe it's more, it's, it's an encouragement to live, to live out who God has, 
has made us to be, right? Sometimes we think, oh, God, he's saying I can't do this, but I think we have to look at it and say, I can do this. I think of these young men right here, right? I think of some of you who have been dating uh, young ladies, well, young lady, I mean, like you're, each of you, you're dating one single lady, okay? <laughs> if you're dating young ladies as a single man, then we can talk about that later too. But, but I, I think about it, right? What, what, what's going to be the greatest display of what, what's going to make the biggest mark in the world? It's not whether or not you can argue your point or your position. It's whether or not you live according to it. And, and, and that, right? And, and so you're not, you're not saying, you're not being divisive in those matters. You're not getting up in arms. You're just saying, this is what, this is what I believe we've been designed to do and how we live and how we can live. And so I'm just going to live it out. And you don't have to defend yourself. You don't have to argue for or against it. Just, just be obedient to it. So Paul says, here's one way that you can live without necessarily being divisive, but just live is live a holy lifestyle. The next one is a loving lifestyle, right? The second lifestyle standard is that we love one another. In verses 9 through 10, Paul writes, he says, now about your love for one another, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all God's family throughout Macedonia, yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more. See, according to Paul's encouragement, the Thessalonians were loving each other well, but they still had room to grow in their love for each other, to do so more and more. He's saying there's still room for improvement in your love for one another. The mark of believers and a believing community is how we love each other. The love we share for each other is displayed through how we are patient with each other. It is displayed through our kindness toward one another. It's displayed in how we share with each other. Our love is shown in how we forgive one another, how we actually talk through our differences. Our love is demonstrated through our hospitality toward others. It's seen in our generosity toward each other. I mean, honestly, church, I kind of have a privileged opportunity. I can see all of your faces. I know many of your stories. And when you look at it, like, just just turn and look at your neighbor real quick. All right? Look look at them. Look at your other neighbor, Judy. All right? You, You look around the other way, and you think, we're not the same, are we? Now, we got people giving kisses over here. Uh, Right? Think about this. We're not all the same, aren't we? Right? What is it that brings us together? It's Jesus Christ. And we're a group of people who ordinarily, like, we have different sports teams. We have different activities we enjoy. We have different levels of income. We have different likes of uh, food tastes and and all these things. But what brings us together? And why is it that when people ask me as as a pastor, they say, well, how's Encounter Church? And my my response, my first response often is, is there is a special spirit of unity within the body of believers. That there's something unique that we actually enjoy being together. It's because we have a loving lifestyle that that overlooks so many of our differences. 
See, this is who we, our love for each other, this is who we are, we love one another. It's a contradiction to be a Christian who hates other Christians. When you find yourself struggling to love other believers, you need to turn to the Lord. You need to humble yourself, confess, and repent of your sin, and ask the Lord to help grow in your heart your love for the other person, believing that God will supernaturally, through His Holy Spirit, teach you to love people who you struggle to love. Paul says that we should excel more and more in our love for others. So that's the second one, right? The first one is, is as followers of Jesus Christ. And again, these are things that we can control, all right? We get so caught up in, we get drug into all of these debates that are so far out of our control. Paul is giving us this list that we have direct control over. And let me tell you, church, they make a difference because the world takes notice. He says, live a holy lifestyle. He tells us now, live a loving lifestyle. And then the third one is this, live a quiet lifestyle. A quiet lifestyle. Paul says this, he says, and to make it your ambition, starting there in verse 11. To make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business Work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anyone. Paul begins this section, he says, live in this way to please God, and then he says, in doing so, you'll win the respect of outsiders, right? Isn't that ultimately what you are trying to do when you enter into that online argument? You're trying to win respect, You're you're, you're trying to demand that everyone else agree with you. Well, Paul tells us this this is how we, we win the respect of outsiders. It's how we live. It's a quiet lifestyle. Paul instructs the believers to lead a quiet life. Sounds good, doesn't it? He uses this word, make it your ambition, right? When I think of that word ambition, it doesn't, doesn't think, make me think of a quiet lifestyle, does it, right? When you think of ambitions, you're thinking of like climbing the corporate ladder, um, fame and fortune. I got to go, 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 go. Right? Harness the ambition, pull myself up by the bootstraps, make it happen. But Paul actually says, right, it almost seems as if all of our ambitions are aimed in the wrong direction. Right? Because it seems oftentimes our ambition is how do I get a better paying job so I can make more money so I can have a more comfortable lifestyle? Isn't that often how we harness our ambition? But Paul says this make it your ambition. To what? To live a quiet life. It really is a fascinating coupling of the two words. Paul is repeating his instruction. In a sense, Paul is repeating his instruction to excel more and more. And he's saying, excel more and more in living a quiet life. Make it your pursuit. Go hard 
after a quiet life. The Greek word for quiet is used in the New Testament. It's to describe someone who, who keeps their mouth shut, <laughs> who is resting, who is calm, who is peaceful. One noun form literally means to stay in your seat and relax. In other words, you don't have to jump up at every opportunity to get involved in, an, in a debate. Right? Maybe, maybe someone used to tell you, take a chill pill, dude. Make it your ambition. A, a quiet lifestyle chooses contentment. A quiet lifestyle chooses contentment in God's plans over worrying about my plans. A quiet lifestyle chooses faithfulness to God over praise from men. It chooses the simple over the extravagant. Christian, we are to live quiet, relaxed, restful, peaceful lives, even in the face of persecution. Now, if you, if you read the text on, right, if, if, if we were to go on into chapter 4, we would see that the reason that we can do so is because we have the certainty and the confidence that Jesus is coming again. And so we don't need to worry about what's going on in the world, right? There's no reason for us to, 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 to concern ourselves with, with every little debate. We just know that God is in control and that he is working all things unto his plan and that Jesus is going to one day come again. Paul goes on, he says, to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. Then he goes on and he says, you should mind your own business. Some of y'all might even want to underline that. Maybe you want to make that your life verse, I'm not going to go around and tell you which of you should make that your life first. I'm just saying maybe some of us should. He says, mind your own business. In other words, you don't need to get involved in matters that you don't need to be involved with. He's telling us to work at keeping your own life in order. Right? We tend to prefer to try to reorder the lives of other people, don't we? It sure is a lot easier to point fingers at that, at that other family down the street. What Paul is saying is, is make it your practice to keep your own life in order. We are easily sucked into matters of which we have no business being involved, causing our opinions to rage within, rage within us. Right? Some of us, honestly, need to get off that neighborhood app on social media. Right? That neighborhood app where, where neighbors are doing nothing more than gossiping about neighbors. And telling me that five streets over, three counties away, there was a peeping Tom. Well, I don't care. Right? These are, these are matters that, that really I don't need to be involved with. When we mind our own business, we realize that most of what goes on in the world is outside of our, uh, is outside of our control. When we mind our own business, we focus on what we can change. We focus on our influence. We focus on what's most important. And so Paul is telling us, stop expending so much time, energy, and, and emotion on the affairs of others. Paul, later, I believe, and maybe in 2 Thessalonians, he refers to people who are constantly in other people's business as busybodies. And then Paul goes on, and he instructs us to work with your hands Right? In Greek culture, uh, manual labor was kind of low class. It was degraded. 
But here Paul says that working with your hands should be viewed as an honorable pursuit. In Romans, Paul tells us, he says, never be lazy in your work, but serve the Lord enthusiastically. Paul is helping us to see that we should be doing the mundane tasks of our lives in a way that honors the Lord. Elizabeth Elliot has a helpful word regarding this. She says, the taking up of the cross is not going to be something heroic or dramatic or enviable. Instead, it's going to be a daily practice of acceptance of small duties which you really don't like. This is an instruction to us that whatever mundane task God has given before us, that we should do it as unto the Lord. We please God when we not only work hard, but work with excellence. And so I wonder, how are you doing better at your job? How are you becoming more skilled? The excellence of our work is a testimony to the outside world of our God's goodness and excellence. Believe it or not, church, the quality of your work does matter. Because it reveals the one whom you serve. And then verse 12, Paul takes us here. He says, Paul told, he, verse 12 helps us to see that our lifestyle makes the gospel message credible to the world. Let me say that again. How we live makes the gospel message credible to the world. Those who watch us see consistency in our relationships. They see the love that we have for other believers. They see the quiet life that they live. Faithfulness and daily living points to the faithfulness of God and the life-changing power of the gospel. And, and I, I, I want to say this, that how you live will win a whole lot more arguments for the gospel than how you spend your time in those divisive arguments over matters that you have no control over. So that's why Paul says, pay attention to how you live. Live to please God so that you'll win the respect of other people. And God in his ever continued grace in giving me sermon illustrations handed one to me on a silver platter yesterday. And I'll close with this. As many of you know, uh, we, my family has a little farm stand out at the edge of our driveway that's become a fun adventure for us. And we take our fresh veggies that we grow in the backyard and we put them out on a table and we've got a cash box and signs and all this bit and it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun to do it together as a family. And it's a self-serve setup. So I don't, we don't man it all the time, okay? It's just an honor system. Well, yesterday afternoon, um, I was there on our back porch and I was kind of assembling some more produce <laughs> to take out there. And, uh, and this lady pulls up and she parks out there and she gets out of her car and she's looking at the table of merchandise. And so I thought, I'll just go ahead and take this out there. And uh, so I, I'm taking a couple of things of tomatoes and zucchini and other stuff. And I go out there and I, I greet her and I'm just having a, a conversation with her. And so she was a first time customer, not quite a regular. So I, I just started talking to her and uh, she asked me, she said, uh, 
when, when can I expect the fresh eggs? You know, when, when's a good time for me to come by so I can get some of the fresh eggs? And I said, actually, believe it or not, I said, I got fresh eggs sitting on my, ki- on my kitchen table. If you just stay put, I said, um, uh, I'll go get them and, and I'll bring them. Oh, she said, I'd love that. I said, great. And uh, so I went in and I got them. So it gave her a little opportunity, okay? So she's kind of standing there. I went and got the eggs. I came back to her and uh, I handed them to her. And she said, there is something about you that is very peaceful. And she went like this. She said, very, very peaceful. And I thought maybe she was referring to my beard. I wasn't sure. Maybe, like, is this peaceful? Because I'm going to tell my wife, this is peaceful, right? (laughs) She said, there's something about you that is very peaceful. And she said, in fact, she said, as I was standing here waiting, listening to your children play in the pool, did something for my soul. Man, I, now again, I wish I could say at that point, I, I shared with her, right, the gospel and all of that did, but I didn't. I kindly thanked her. And I walked away. And I thought, that's it. I didn't engage her. I didn't try to convince her of my political preferences. I didn't engage her in the latest hot topic debate. I just tried to live my life in a way that pleases God. And to try to teach my children to do the same. Now, I could have told her. I could have said, well, if you had come an hour ago, you wouldn't be saying this is peaceful. (laughs) You hit us at a good time. But I wonder, next time I see Paula will be an opportunity for me to continue to help her to see the reason why there is a peace here. And in church, we are invited into this to live our lives in such a way that causes the world to say, whatever you got is what I want. Not to win the cultural war, but to just live lives that are attractive, that are holy, that are different, that are loving, and that are quiet. And we'll trust that God will do what he does as we live in obedience to him. Would you pray with me? Father, I'm thankful for your word. And now, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would take these truths and help us to be reminded of them Help them to be at the forefront of our thoughts and our minds as we live, as we interact with our neighbors, as we have those conversations. And God, we uh, help us to live in obedience to these truths. That's what we want, Lord. We need help with that. In Jesus' name.